Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from an industrial design leader at Amazon on how to ensure great collaboration between visual designers and product engineers when developing your product. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Robert Irwin to the show. Rob just wrapped up almost three years working at Amazon as a lead industrial designer creating the Amazon shopping cart. Before that, he worked for many years as a freelancer with agencies and large corporations doing industrial design and leading physical product design teams. Today, Rob's going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can ensure that your product development goes smoothly and creates the best version of your product by knowing how industrial design and product engineering can best work together. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Nice to uh, be here. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on. I understand you're in between jobs right now. So um, you've just recently left Amazon and now you're spending all this free time brushing up on all this CAD software, you know, the, the certain software you didn't get to use as much while you're there. Yeah, you know, I did uh, did use a bit here and there when I was at Amazon. Um, I think the, the team structure out there uh, required uh, much more than just kind of Sitting, uh, sitting in CAD and and um, and and working up form structures and whatnot. But but yeah, I am I'm in between jobs. You know, I was the lead industrial designer at, for the Amazon Dash Cart, and it was an amazing, humbling experience working with eighty plus engineers uh, across algorithms, software, firmware, hardware. So it, wow. it's been great. And what's your backstory before that? You're obviously you're a great uh, senior designer. You've been in the game for a long time. So give everyone just a background where you started and how you got yeah. to work for the big. Amazon. Yeah, you bet. Well, uh, rolling back uh, the pages of time, I think, you know, so I, I went to the Art Institute of Colorado back in and graduated in 2005. So I've been pr- practicing professional for about um, 16 years. Um, I've dabbled in uh, the built environment, um, starting out with Rocky Mountain Institute, interning in Boulder to pivoting to um, starting my own consultancy. Uh, they, where we, um, you know, worked on Sustainable, sustainable initiative, sustainable initiatives um, in a product d- development realm, and so uh, we would do like eco indicator um, uh, calculations to you know understand product um, environmental pro- products environmental impacts, uh, and so uh, you know we would then would then redesign the product to make it greener. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. After that, I pivoted pivoted again to uh, exhibit design at the Children's Museum. So I got a lot of hands-on experience with uh, STEM educators and working with them closely to develop exhibits. Uh, and uh, and then got into consulting again for uh, the 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 last ten years before I was with Amazon, doing a, a lot of global packaging research, uh, consumer marketing research, a uh, lot of boots on the ground kind of stuff uh, in the field. Uh, so it was a really great experience from an industrial design perspective, um, you know, being kind of listening to, to, to targeted customers and, and they're hearing their voice, of, you know, where their pain points are and, you know, unraveling their nascent needs uh, around their challenges to develop products really 
uh, really helped me to kind of, uh, you know, become a better designer over time. So, and, uh, you know, fast forward after that, uh, got picked up with uh, Amazon and you know, the rest uh, has been history. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's great depth for what we're talking about today. And that's, you know, how do we get visual design working with mechanical design so that it's great product and production, thinking both about the customer, but also about the technology and how to, you know, best practices putting those together because you've seen them from, an independent freelance designer as well from the agency side, uh, agency design, working with lots of customers as well as from the, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world, Amazon, um, you know, working with huge teams of engineering. So first and foremost, let's just start with a high level overview. What is industrial design, mechanical engineering, design for manufacturing? What's a traditional theory around them? What's the definition of them? Just so that everybody kind of has a baseline understanding of that, then we'll jump into the best practices after that. Gosh, you know, that's a, that's a great question, uh, Kevin. I think, you know, industrial design is the, the vocation of um, putting, putting uh, you know, the customer first, uh, taking their challenges and, uh, you know, turning those insights into actual physical forms that people use every day in their lives. Uh, historically speaking, industrial design has been around a lot of mass production of goods. Uh, I think it still is in that realm. But I think you'll find industrial designers doing tons of work uh, in the social impact realms, uh, in in the in the local environments, uh, in in their neighborhoods, and so uh, it, it really does span the gamut of of uh, you know applying applying uh, understanding into the physical world. Yeah, that's generally you know that that's what we always kind of looked at is this is the visual design, visual merge with technology. Mm-hmm. So how do you actually? You just think about it. how do you first sketch and and obviously you get into CAD and all of that sort of stuff. But how do you take that idea from written paper from in your head and actually visualize it, but understanding how you're actually going to build it around it, which then leads into the next thing. Um, and not necessarily in that orders we'll talk about today, um, but generally the next uh, phase or at least the next train of thought is your mechanical design or mechanical engineering. Sure. Yeah. Mechanical engineering. I mean, depending on how um, intense, uh, or involved the product is, it could be electrical, it could be all sorts of things. Um, you know, in the, in, in, in the consulting world, when I was, uh, practicing, uh, as the industrial designer within the consulting teams, uh, you know, we brought on board kind of every, everybody at the table at the beginning. Uh, so whether that's, so for instance, if we're working on a, a, a food, a functional beverage, for instance, for, uh, for Pepsi or, or uh, you know a, a Keurig coffee machine, um, and we would bring in you know the, the food scientists and the the managers of, of the, the silos of the teams uh, and workshop these things together, uh, and you know that that really it can really help kind of formalize the the concepts across disciplines very quickly, uh, and then you you are able to really amass the people or the teams that you need to drive that product to to market. Uh, I think, um, I think, yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of a little bit of that in a, in a nutshell. Um, as far as mechanical engineering and working with the, working with them, once it's out of, out of, out of everyone's brains and kind of on the paper and start working in CAD. Um, I think that there are a couple different approaches when it comes to industrial designers working with mechanical engineers. Uh, or whomever, uh, any any of the in- engineers uh, out there, um, and you know you can either 
ping pong back and forth ideas, um, depending on where you're located, if you're remotely or together, um, you know, this may unfold uh, in different ways. Um, so for instance, um, kind of at a high level, uh, just an example, if you, you develop kind of attributes from what people need, right? Uh, and these attributes may be features or functions within the product. And so within these features and functions, it effectively defines this particular target segment of the population, right? That, that would buy this product. Um, and so these attributes all have their own defining features and functions. And sometimes you need to break those functions apart uh, because each one of these may require a different vocation, a different team, a different skill set to, to achieve or even test and prototype. Um, so along the way, you end up finding yourself either sourcing people that you need at the time or bringing on uh, an end-to-end engineer, end-to-end designer uh, who can really kind of carry that product idea from the nascent idea stage all the way through to supply chain and, and driving to market. You know, I think the big key here is it's great you mentioned it, this ping pong thing because you, you know, your industrial design is your visual design. And to be clear, the mechanical engineering is that's when you do essentially the, the way that I look at it, that's when the detail work is done. That's where you get down to every little bit and figure out exactly how every little part's going to work together. And the important thing that uh, Rob mentioned here is that it's not exactly a linear path. You mentioned the ping pong method. I want to explore that a bit because that is uh, that can be very useful sometimes. Right. I think a lot of people generally used to look at the industrial design, mechanical engineering, and they said, well, first, the industrial designer figures out you know, how this thing's going to look, the features it's going to have. Essentially, what does the customer want and how do we visualize this? And then it would get passed over to some engineers and they would get daunted with the task. So, okay, here's this great thing. Now go build it. And the engineers would look at it and immediately say, that's impossible. Yeah, so yeah. then it would get yeah, yeah. it would go back, right? And it can be very inefficient to get into that ping pong method. So I just uh -huh. want to explain a bit further about how you actually look at those two. And I can actually talk about some experience from macro yeah. design as well um, of how you know how you want to be very efficient with that back and forth process and understand that it's not always, in fact, regularly, and in fact, in terms of best practices, it's not generally a direct correlation visual, then engineering. And then of course, you know, the last step is DFM, which is designed for manufacture, which is when you've done all your engineering and you're ready to do your final tool design and manufacturing spec and all that to actually produce in volume. Um, so essentially let's call it your step one, two, three, but let's focus on step one and two, uh, Rob, from your experience, because you've worked with a lot of different teams in this combining industrial mechanical engineering. What do you see in terms of best practices on those two kind of working together? What are the different methods? Explain what you mentioned in ping pong, explain linear versus circular, and then some other tips sure. around that, because that could be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. I, I think uh, you, you, you nailed it right on the head there with uh, sometimes uh, things just can't be made because of, well, physics, right? Um, and when you're designing a product, for instance, uh, engineering or design has this, you know, fancy form and they, you know, totally works for the user and you toss it over the fence to uh, the engineering side, uh, they say, well, look, our, our cameras uh, or some electrical PCB or something needs to be X, Y, Z size. Uh, that's when you start to get into the, uh, you know, the discussion of what are the trade-offs, what are our constraints, uh, and, um, and what are the impacts to the customer? Um, so so the, the ping pong uh, analogy I used uh, is, is was more of just kind of a you know more at the brainstorming stage of things because 
really you're more of diverging with possible ideas and bouncing it, bouncing these possibilities off of each other. I think once you get to uh, begin to converge on these attributes and uh, similar needs within the form, uh, you know, you start to engage in more of a mechanistic approach to the funneling of these, of the ping pongs, if you will. <laughs> um, so, you know, eventually you got to get down to, uh, to, to build a concept, build a prototype. And so, um, you know, some of the mechanisms, for instance, um, might be uh, a team raises a risk. Uh, they raise a flag uh, around a particular function or feature. Uh, and and uh, this flag is raised uh, and then you have uh, team meetings right around this. But oftentimes, you know, you have a cadence with, with the teams um, and you do often do kind of weekly touch bases, for instance, depending on however, how fast you're moving with the product. It may be even daily. Um, so, so that, that's kind of one of the, one of the mechanisms is, is really just to team, team communication, uh, across, across all the disciplines. Um, you know, I, I think that there are times when, uh, decisions are made that are outside of a vocation, for instance, that needed to be done because of XYZ challenge. Uh, and then it gets you into, uh, uh, you, you get back into a ping pong because you weren't possibly, you know, notified that something was changed from the design side that totally uh, breaks the customer experience. Um, and so, so yeah, so I would say part of the funneling uh, of that ping pong is, are the mechanisms of communication across disciplines. I love how you mentioned that, uh, you know, getting the communication line, but something that also kind of triggered me is, uh, you know, in a good way is that, uh, you know, triggered the thoughts is that when you have that um, ping pong at the very early stages, before you even get into the industrial design, it could be very beneficial. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we look for when we're designing, let's say it's a relatively simple new gadget or invention or whatnot at macro design for a client, they generally come to us with the, with the idea. And they're looking for us to make it, get it to production. So one of the first things that happens is very early stage, you want to get at least a rough idea of what you're actually building. And they've figured it out. We think a customer is going to want this thing. Um, a simple example that we can bring forward is let's look at the tri-plunger. It's a better toilet plunger, triangle-shaped toilet plunger. Very, <laughs> very simple project for us. No electronics. Um, and uh, you know they, they come with this concept. Okay, we should make a better toilet plunger and it'll be triangle-shaped. So that you can somewhat understand the customer. Then you can kind of go back and forth just at that idea phase with the engineering and the industrial design department to say, okay, engineering is going to look at it and say, okay, if it's going to be triangle-shaped, Here's some suction properties we need. Here's some form factor sizes that will be required. Mm -hmm. Does that, you know, and then the industrial design side says, okay, great. Now, how does I, how do I need my user to actually use this thing? Or how should this be actually designed in with this new form factor? And how's that going right. to connect to a handle? And how are we going to use that suction? Now, this is all happening before the industrial design team even jumps into CAD, which is right. great because when that ID team actually goes into CAD, they already have an understanding of, of kind of the, the customer that they want, the client in our case, uh, you know, the inventor, the ideator, the business owner, the department head, whatever that might be. They've got fairly strong direction on what they think the value is going to be to that end user. Then the engineering sides come in and say, okay, here's how we think it could actually function. Here's the technology underlying that may actually work. Now, industrial design, what I always believe, the, a great industrial design is pulling all those together. So they're going to take the technology, they're going to take the the client, they're going to the, or the business, they're going to take then the the eventual end user and merge it all together into the first version of a product. 
So it said, like you said, at some point you actually have to get into it. At that point, then what we want to do is now send it over the fence to engineering, but we don't want to stop that ping pong. We want to make sure that as engineering gets into it and says, okay, here's how we're actually going to fine tune. Here's how we're going to figure out all these tiny details based on what you, the industrial design team has designed. Now we want industrial design still to be weighing in to make sure that any changes or modifications or maybe new ideas or maybe issues that are coming up are yeah. still being reflected back to the business and to the end user to make sure that there's nothing happening. And I believe that if you do all that right, by the time you get to the last phase, design for manufacturing, it's relatively easy at that point because you're now not having to, again, ping pong, but at a time where it's very expensive to make changes. And when, you know, when you're trying to now all of a sudden go back and forth and start getting those ideas flowing, that's the wrong time to happen because at that point you should, you should be through all that. We've got technology that works. We have a design that's beautiful that the client's going to love. We have a design altogether that makes for a good business for our customer, for our client, for their product business. Now we just need to engineer it to figure out how to tool it at scale so that it's high quality and a reasonable cost in production. And that really, if you, now, obviously that's not a perfect science. Sometimes there's, there's some circular action that happens in there. There's, there's obviously more back and forth. There might be some micro stages to certain pieces, but in essence, that's a really nice com compact way to be very efficient with your spend. If you don't have the time or the money to be going back around and around through the whole gamut of processes through all of the teams over and over and over again to get to your final product, it right. makes it somewhat linear. While, while not losing the idea of, of having smart thought throughout the process. Right, right. Absolutely, Kevin. I think, um, you know, there's, there is one other kind of angle on, on this, and, and you did touch on it a little bit there. And, you know, going back and forth with particular designs and not losing what the customer or how the customer may use the product is, is very important. And, um, and sometimes, uh, sometimes you got to get those prototypes in front of people as well and, and even do... Uh, even if it's just some quick, uh, quick uh, user testing with, uh, you know, even family, for instance, and just not even tell them kind of how to use it, right? And just video, uh, you know, see see what where their pain points are. See maybe if, if there's anything that you might have missed uh, internally, uh, and and loop that in for a quick uh, quick uh, iteration. Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree. We also find that it's very helpful in in terms of. Uh, you know, as you mentioned there, you want to make sure that you're using the prototypes to get that feedback. Um, and then if we're having kind of both sets of teams reviewing that feedback at every stage of the game, uh, it's very helpful that those teams have a little bit of knowledge, I think, in each other's department. So if we look at Maco Industrial Designers, they have, you know, a tremendous amount of history. They're, they're great visual designers, but all of them have had dozens of products that they have worked very closely on many mechanical elements to get them to production. Yes. So they, they, so, so industrial design understands not all, not obviously to the depth of a mechanical engineer, but they understand a lot of what goes into it, at least at a high level, they've done a lot of it. They've worked on a number of projects. Conversely, the mm -hmm. mechanical engineers, they're not, especially at Mac when we're, we're designing for production, we want modern, sexy, sophisticated products that are, that are essentially changing the world. Um, we want to make sure that the mechanical engineers aren't just specifically looking at function and they're also considering, well, uh, uh, 
how is the user going to use it? How, what is the business behind it? So having a little bit of cross-pollination uh, of, of each other's um, tasks. If you have a bigger team, you can actually have a dedicated team member, let's say on the mechanical engineering team, you could have an industrial designer sitting on that team. If it's a smaller crew, maybe it's just one industrial designer, one mechanical engineer, one DFM engineer for a relatively simple product, making sure that those individuals have a little bit of knowledge in each other's discipline so that they understand and are respectful, but also find opportunities and efficiencies to yeah. work well with each other. Absolutely. I think that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does. Ben. Yeah. And a lot of that just comes with experience, right? Exactly. So it's uh, yeah. it's one of those things where, um, you know, we notice it, especially because we deal with a lot of startups and a lot of the time they, they, they may even have, um, you know, they might have an electrical engineer on, on staff and they're working with us for industrial design or whatnot. Right. Well, you know, when you've got seven or eight different people that are required to put that together, you've got a tremendous amount of experience put together that understands many of these different elements um, so that hopefully you can smooth a lot of those things out in between. Yeah. Whereas if you are strictly an industrial designer, you've, you haven't spent much time on mechanical electrical engineering or working with those folks. Um, you're going to, you're going to find out there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you don't know until you have that experience. So it really helps, you know, be honest with yourself about what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are, and then try and find those who are very complementary in terms of skill set. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. And, you know, it's uh, you, you're reminding me of um, of some of my time uh, back with with Amazon. Uh, you know, the out of the gate when I was hired, uh, you know, I w I worked very closely, well, not initially with um, with the larger team of engineers. Um, but over time, uh, the communication grew and grew. Uh, and so, you know, at one stage where, you know, you're kind of the, you might be the guy uh, in the corner that's like creating these fancy drawings and, and just th throwing them, throwing them on a wall uh, that, you know, over time, I think that that relationship that uh, should be uh, fostered within a, whether it's, a, you know, it, within any company, um, and and was um, from from my perspective uh, is that uh, you know you are, you're getting invited to the engineering meetings uh, you know you're you're sitting in even to be a fly on the wall because um, what may not seem like a small change that's needed to be done for manufacturing uh, could turn into you know a, a, a big headache for the on the design side or even the customer uh, if 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 you're not kind of sitting in with them to talk through it. Um, so, yeah. Well, that, you know, brings back to your earlier comment about how important communication is. And right. The more communication, the better here. Um, yeah. These aren't wasted meetings. They're very core meetings. They're very important meetings because those small details can add up. They can be exponential. They can yeah. be showstoppers. Yes. Um, and it's very difficult, unlike in maybe in software and certain elements where you can change a couple lines of code in hardware, especially as you get further down mm -hmm. the line, like you're fairly set in your, you know, in your model at that point, if you're ready for, or, you know, if you've tooled up for production or whatnot, <laughs> you've already got a certain sunk cost that right. simply cannot be changed. So it's a lot, a lot more yeah. efficient to find those changes early. One of the things I help, I find that really helps with all of this is good project management. Yes. So, uh, you know, and I, and I tell this from firsthand experience, um, many years ago when macro design was its infancy, when I was soon out of school, we only had three, four person team, uh, generally one in each discipline. We had an industrial designer, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, and that was it, right? Uh, we, th there was nobody kind of centrally managing the projects as, as, a, as a task. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, an industrial designer would generally take on the project as essentially the project lead, and then they would bring in the support, the other people to support. But one of the major differences I noticed as a design firm, as we got to the point where we could afford a product strategist, then an actual dedicated project manager that works to put that, as we were getting all of the experience with multiple projects, um, and then we had different types, you know, different size teams and whatnot that we could put below that, having a central project manager really, really can help smooth or let's say lubricate both the communication between those folks, as well as the efficiency of getting results between those folks. Because the reality with hardware, like anything really, is that every project is unique and they'll never follow the exact same path. Um, Through experience, you will learn some of the more efficient paths, but you do have to have a bit of a you know, a bit of logic, a bit of kind of oversight above that to really say, okay, well, here's how we need to shift resources, or here's how we maybe need to loop, like you said, loop back, do another ping pong round um, as earlier as opposed to later. And really project managers have been incredible. And now we don't have a project at Maco. I mean, for years, we haven't had a project with Maco that doesn't have a dedicated project manager to oversee the different divisions, um, even on a relatively simple product. It just makes it go faster, more efficiently. Everybody's happier, better results at the end of the day. So uh, that that I saw that shift from from beginning to end, and uh, it made a major difference. Right, absolutely. I, I think, uh, yeah, and I would definitely dovetail off of that comment around um, PMs being on on each each project or being dedicated. I think uh, the nuances, depending on you know the 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 level of technical expertise for a project, multiplied by the schedule constraints uh, and the team size, uh, you know, all roll into uh, the necessary or the need for, uh, you know, someone to really be on top of the, the, you know, the, the, the game of, of, of making sure that the team is actually communicating across, across disciplines and, and making sure that people are getting together to meet, uh, meet deadlines and talk through these pain points that may be happening. And, and it really is a talent, like good project management. It's one of those things where, you know, it's like movie acting where people are like, oh, yeah. I, I could probably be a great movie actor in that position. But you don't realize there is a ton, a ton of talent and training that goes into it. There's all these little nuances that you will never see that they see on a daily basis, let alone the technology underneath it. I mean, all of our projects are managed through quite advanced uh, cloud-based software. So, you know, we have a huge technology component uh, as well as like massive libraries and databases and materials and, and design language and all that sort of stuff that we can just plop into stuff. Um, let alone all the kind of like training that goes into a great project manager to have to learn how to manage not just all the core talent or the the core, um, let's say, expertise that's required, but managing people because there's a human element to every project. And uh, that project manager ideally is somebody different than the project owner, uh, which is generally in our case, in in any case, that would be um, usually the the inventor right or or the business yeah. that's come to us for that to, you know to develop that next thing project management is a different task all in all in itself so you want the owner to be able to come up with the vision to understand the customer to be bringing what they like they're they're the visionary right so you want them to be right. focusing on the thing that they're best at and let somebody else do the thing they're best at when you get all these people working harmoniously together um that that's where really fantastic projects come out yeah, Kevin, I'm, I'm curious, what's uh, from, from Mako's side, how, how involved uh, are, are some owners or, you know, are, are there varying degrees uh, with your projects that you see roll out with uh, communication across the teams or just PMs or 
Uh, we, I mean, we purposely keep owners very engaged. Um, I mean, they're busy doing most of the time they're doing their own things. We have a lot of owners that this is their, their second thing. Like they've got maybe even a full-time job and this is something they're developing on the side. Um, so it, it's not always that they have the time, but generally at least once or twice, uh, like we have it set twice a week, if they choose to kind of engage, that's up to them, but at a minimum, an absolute minimum on a weekly basis, we are coordinating and collaborating yeah. because at the end of the day, they're the visionary. They're the ones that came up with this. We want to make sure that we're aligning very tightly with, with what their vision is. And we want to make sure that we're not kind of going off the rails as well as even more importantly, sometimes is, is identifying great opportunities. So as our team's coming up with those opportunities, we want to be passing those back across to the owner to say, look, right. we either see this problem down the road or we see this great opportunity in terms of the, the design, the build, whatever else. So when you, but again, it comes back to what you said, communication is key. Even if it's a, a, a just a check-in to say, yeah. hey, we're on progress, right. we're here, things are going well, you'd be surprised, you know, the owner might come up with an idea or... Conversely, the team might come up with an idea. So almost always, it's not a wasted meeting. A lot happens in a week, especially with us. Like every week, a lot is happening. A lot of design and engineering is going into a project. A lot of of things are are going on. So there's almost always something to talk about. Also, as the owners developing their business and growing, things are happening on their end too. So we want to make sure that there is almost excessive communication in all directions. Like you said, between the teams, of course, that are actually designing the product, but also with other stakeholders. If they have an investor on board, we want them being brought in reg- on a regular basis. You know, if obviously if the owner um, approves and all that, but we want to make sure that everybody's loving the direction it's going. If we have a customer in mind, we should be coordinating as best as possible to make sure that we're still online with what that customer wants. Especially if it's a corporate buyer, why not? Because sometimes that's some of the best advice you'll get is from your actual buyer themselves. If we're yeah. working on a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign and we're doing a test campaign before, we want to get as much data back to our design team as possible to see what can we improve on the design today to make it a better product tomorrow. So yeah. it really just all comes back to what you said about fluid communication that makes Absolutely. great products. And then I would take it one step further, everything that I talked about here, constant and, and, um, purposeful improvement of your processes. So every month you are continuing to tweak and refine and improve those processes, those communication channels, seeing what's working, what's not working, what are best practices from what other places are doing, and then trying to incorporate that in your model. So you never feel like you've got the, the, this perfect process or this perfect Mm -hmm. system that you're constantly looking from all stakeholders to provide feedback into how that can continually improve. That's how, you know, when you look at design agencies, the ones who are very good, who have been around for a long time, um, that's why they're so good at, at coming up with great innovations. It's not just because they got, you know, five amazing designers on the team. It's because they have that in combination with processes and history. They combine all this together. And that's where, you know, the the tremendous amount of, obviously I'm biased in this, but that's where a tremendous amount of value comes back to those those startups. That's why you'll notice most hardware startups, almost all hardware startups don't do their own development in the house. Even if they get funding that are able to afford it, generally that's something that when you're 20, 30, 50, person team, then maybe you can bring the seven or eight or nine people you need to, to be your visionaries in-house and do all that kind of R&D in-house. And even then, as you know, from Amazon and in many other places, even then you're still looking to bring in, you know, fresh talent, fresh ideas, fresh thought, best practices into your internal team to make that end product as good as it could possibly be at the very end. 
Absolutely. No, I definitely agree with you. There's a, there's a balance with leveraging external vendors and doing internal work, I think. Um, and yeah, as a startup, um, you know, I think it's great that uh, we're all starting to be able to, you know, knock on wood, come back and hang out and, and do brainstorming sessions together and, and, and build on ideas together in person too. Um, I think that, uh, you know, in the shop, when I would go down into the, into the shop um, at work, uh, you know, there would be engineers in one, you know, in every corner of, of the lab. And, and uh, I also did quite a bit of design work and engineering work with the engineers in, in, a, in, serendip in serendipitous ways. Um, you know, for instance, I'd be walking through the lab and, and, um, uh, you know, the, you know, the battery engineer would grab me, Hey Rob, come take a look at this. What do you think about this? Or, or, um, you know, someone working on, uh, you know, some other part. Uh, and, uh, and so, so, you know, the, that, 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 that information is kind of in, is, is nuanced, um, and is a little harder to, to mechanize, but I think it's, it also caters to a little bit of like the, the human side of interaction too, with, with just with creating innovation, with creating new products, creating these things that have never existed before. So, um, just had to say a little bit about that too. Other, other yeah, than that's great, always Rob. having the mechanisms, I think that there is a there's there's that human element too. That it's like when you hire these these particular people to do work, um, you know, they're there together for the mission. They're there to create and and design and innovate together. So, yeah, it's got it's amazing. It's almost kind of a beautiful thing when you look at. Um, the projects because you know this is six months a year two years whatever it might be for depending on the type of complexity the type of design whatever else but uh it's amazing to see kind of the bond that human element that you mentioned that forms over time <laughs> it's interesting because on the client side you know they they're, they're chatting once or twice a week and they're getting these updates but you imagine these people are like sitting at their desk or you know well these days partially at their desk partially from home partially in the shop working with a whole team of folks day in and day out yeah. uh for months and months on end and uh, at the end of it uh, coming up with ideally something incredible yeah. um it's amazing that that uh, you know the bond and the camaraderie that happens and uh it's uh i must say um running a design firm that's one of the best parts yeah it's it's that it's human element that team element that uh is really cool and it's also people who are you know generally they're looking to solve problems they're they're yeah. they're they're trying to make the world a better place they're coming yeah, up with good ideas out of, their, out of bed every day it just gets you Absolutely. out of bed every day like let's let's what are we solving today and uh now I, I think by and large industrial design for me has been uh you know it's just a great boon into just being uh working with people and having having a great time and uh and innovating for the world, man. It's great. Love it. What a great way to end the show, Rob. Much appreciated for you having, uh, for you being on the show. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the, uh, what's the easiest way? Um, uh, I, I could put all the, I could put your LinkedIn uh, link or whatever else in the, in the show notes here as well for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I haven't been tweeting much, and, uh, but uh, you can catch me on LinkedIn, say hi, drop me a connect. Um, it's just Rob, Robert Irwin, uh, Robert Irwin ID uh, is the, is my uh, kind of the handle. But um, yeah, it's been great talking with you, Kevin. I appreciate uh, you having me on board. Much appreciated for your insight, Rob. Take care. All right, see ya. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. 
the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.